All right, everyone, welcome along to another episode of the Martin's World podcast. Guys, uh, just before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to just remind you if you want to support the show, support to fight for cannabis legalization in Ireland, you can sign up to the patreon.com forward slash Martin's World, or you can also make a donation in the form of Bitcoin through the link found on martinsworld.ie. And uh, all of the funds there, guys, will be used to establish a cannabis activist hub here in Cork City to bring together the cannabis community, to, to socialise, to be educated and to, to better, be better organised so we can fight for cannabis legalisation in Ireland. And uh, it's very much needed because uh, legalisation is certainly on the horizon anyway. I believe it's much closer uh, today than what it was any uh, time before. Um, so, guys, on with today's guest. Uh, today's guest, I'm delighted to bring uh, Jared Rowe. I've been trying to get Jared on the podcast since uh, early there back in, when I was starting it actually back in June, um, and the coronavirus and all that kind of stuff just uh, really got in the way. Um, I, I really wanted to do this in person, but we ended up settling for uh, a Zoom call. Um, so guys, uh, Jared Rowe was on the call the other night with Gino Kenny and the other panel of speakers, and uh, he, he's uh, an award-nominated youth worker, activist, and father from Dublin. Um, he's also a graduate uh, social scientist of Maynooth University and has been involved in youth work for over a decade, um, 15 years to be specific actually. He's working in a number of youth projects across Dublin's most disadvantaged areas, uh, including eight years in a groundbreaking national youth organisation. And that's why I was most interested in talk talking with Jared actually, is uh, looking at this from the youth's perspective because... That's since I've been getting criminalised, like it was when I was a young person, kind of 16, 17, I suppose it was it really started when I was 17. So I was really interested in getting Jared on the show and having a conversation with him about uh, his own experience with the young people he's worked with. But um, Jared's also led the development of uh, two drug outreach services and ran a number of harm reduction campaigns in his career. Um, he's also got specialities in harm reduction and drug education and has a particular interest in the area of drug policy reform. Um, he's an, an advocate for the legalisation of cannabis and the decriminalisation of the drug user. And uh, he, he went before the Department of Justice, Defence and Equality to argue in favour of decriminalisation, resulting in a report in favour of the support uh, approach. Um, and as we allude to in the show, actually, uh, it, it also led to the uh, introduction of the drug testing at festivals, which is to happen later this year. Fingers crossed the festivals actually go ahead. But um, Jared's work then has also seen him play a role in the development of Ireland's current national drug strategy, um, re reducing harm, supporting recovery. Um, he's also featured in a, an RT documentary which sparked a nationwide debate on how Ireland needs to change its approach to dealing with drugs. And uh, he's also passionate about helping young people reach their full potential and keeping them safer from the harms of drugs and drug policy. Um, so guys, without uh, further ado, I give you the one and only Jar Rowe. Jared Raymond Rowe, um, I'm going to call you Jar for the rest of the, the interview, if, if that's okay with yourself, yeah? Brilliant. It is indeed. Jar Rowe, I, you know, I have the Raymond, I think it's on my Yeah, Twitter. that's it, on the, on the Facebook Messenger. Yeah. yeah, mostly known as Jar Rowe, DJ yeah. Rowe. Brilliant. <laughs> so you're, you're a youth worker and uh, you're, you're based above in, in Dublin, is that right? Yeah, I'm a youth worker in Dublin, Martin, yeah. Uh, Dublin City, I've been working in the inner city for the last 15 years. 15 years, okay, so you've been there quite a, a bit of time, so. Yeah, I'd say so, 13 of those years as a as professional. Brilliant. So, so I suppose the, the kids you would have started with uh, back 15 years ago, they would be maybe in their 30s now, would they? Thereabouts, 15 yeah, years on? Yeah, 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 late 20s, early 30s, if they made it that far, you know, some unfortunately... Uh, 
didn't, you know. Um, and it's a lot as related to what we're talking going to talk about on the show, you know. Yeah, and, and I suppose just in that the the kids uh, in the place you work with, uh, what what kind of uh, kids uh, w- would be coming in there, uh, and what would it be coming in for to you? So we work with young people from the ages of ten to twenty, right up to until the age of twenty-four. 20. Um, marginalized, disadvantaged community. Um, so and young people from uh, young young people from all different um, nationalities as well, because we're city center based. No, there's uh, certainly that's all relevant in this because uh, it's something I brought up in the show quite a bit is uh, how vulnerable the youth are, especially when it comes to this gangland kind of stuff, because they're they're used uh, like a, a kind of a tool uh, almost uh, because. One, they're, they're young, and uh, I think the guards are, are on to them now, so maybe that's less of a thing there, but whereas before, maybe 15 years ago when you were starting out, that average age of the drug runner would have seemed to have been a little bit higher, whereas the current uh, average uh, drug running age in, in Dublin, up where you are yourself, um, it's I think it goes as low as eight for those drug runners, which is which is scary. Like You start with the kids when they're 10, so like that that's crazy to think that they could have been drug running and for about two years before they even get in front of um, somebody who could be somewhat of a more positive role model to them. Because I think that's probably what's absent in a, a lot of their lives, unfortunately, is this this role model. It's you know, the, the person they end up looking up to is the guy with the flashy watch and the cool car who's willing to, to give them a few bob there because they brought a bag over to Johnny. Do you know that this is the... And I suppose, do you see that kind of stuff uh, coming into yourself where kids are being targeted and, and lured into that kind of lifestyle? 100% Martin, you hit the nail on the head. You nearly actually answered the question. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I wouldn't say young people as uh, eight, eight years of age. And if I'm looking through their eyes, their lens, they're a product of their own environment. They walk outside the front door and this is what they can see, you know? Yeah. And um, they are being exploited. Uh, some of them come from single parent households, don't have that male, strong male role model in their life. And you know, uh, the the drug gangs are the people see this vulnerability and they tap into it and they exploit it. And I've seen it for years. And you're right, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, and now as young as eight. And they're the young people I'm working with. So these aren't just little anecdotal stories. I'm right on the front line. I'm in the an area where it is the most publicized area in the media. I won't start mentioning the names of streets, but one can imagine where I'm talking about. So that's where these young people are actually growing up, and that's who I'm working with. And I want to I want to say that despite all the me- ne- negative media attention and how society, wider society, wider society views this area and the young people I work with, it is an amazing community with a real sense of pride of place. You know, they're really, really salt of the earth. Do you know what I mean? So. Um, like I, I, I just I'm glad I got to say that because normally there's other tropes and stereotypes and the media fuels that. And then when you see yeah. comment sections, it's just it's 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 nasty. Do you know that kind of way? But they're in a war zone right now at the moment, and it's open season, especially because of COVID. Our mm-hmm. young people are being exploited, um, war in a worse than they ever were. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's really, really really bad. The community feels kind of under siege at the moment. I attended a meeting there um, during the week and it was very heartfelt um, and a lot of passion and a lot of um, sadness and a will of, like calls for something radical to be done. So it was quite heartening. 
yeah. it was uh, heavily attended by politicians, including like, for example, Mary Lou. And uh, I made sure I got in there with the hand up, you know, and I, 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 I was, I went on a passionate rant as I normally would, but uh, and it said what most people would be afraid to say. So you know, uh, this is what's going on in the city right now at the moment. It's a community that feels very much, uh, you know, abandoned, but feels very unsafe and mm. don't, doesn't know what to do. I was walking to work the other day and I could feel the tension. And I'm not intimidated by areas like that. I mean, I grew up like these young people, you know what I mean? Uh, so I'm not intimidated. But right now, uh, it, it, was, it was, I was walking down the street and normally things I don't notice, I started to notice, like lads on street corners looking at me quite sketchy and, you know, who's this fella? And I was like, oh, you know, he can feel something in the ether, mm -hmm. you know? So uh, it's, it's not a pleasant place to be. And that's all down to your comfortability levels. I'd have other staff members and other people and uh, I work with colleagues in there's a few good few youth services around the place and they don't feel safe being in the area. And then then residents are telling you, I don't feel safe anymore, terrified that their children um, are gonna get hurt, are gonna get stabbed. But as I said at the meeting with Gino and all the other night, um, they're terrified that their son is gonna end up on that street corner and living that type of life because a lot of the people around that area know what the outcomes are. Do you know that kind of way? And um, it's a very, very sad reality. And if I'm doing this 15 years and I'm not seeing any any change, and this keeps on happening, it's actually getting worse. I have to say, this, enough is enough. Do you know, uh, there's a lot of, in youth work, there's a lot of, um, you know, it's seen to be quite progressive and all about change and stuff like that. But on the drugs issue, there's a wall of silence. Yeah. There's a support for the status quo. And that it really bugs me mm -hmm. because these youth workers, well-meaning youth workers, and I'm not um, disparaging youth workers. They're, you know, what I'm saying is, is that, you know, they will, you know, support these um, social justice kind of issues. But when I try to raise the issue of drug policy, shut down. Yeah. And then I start examining myself. Is it my delivery? Is it the way I'm saying it? And I, so I said, right, I'll address how I'm doing this to try and bring people into a conversation. Because Martin, you know me, I'm a very passionate guy, quite imposing. So I, I understand that that can kind of, you know, yeah. put people off sometimes. And so I watched that. And so we tried different, still, wall of silence. I think it's a lack of knowledge. It's fear. It's status quo kind of stuff. It's a lot of some, sometimes the work is aligned to the whole enforcement of uh, prohibition without them <laughs> knowing and all. So there's a fear of actually having an opinion on this. But not me, <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, I, 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 it's just I can't. I, I, I feel obligated, and I feel um, it is on me as a paid professional to, uh, you know, to speak out and uh, highlight the injustices and what's going on for these young people. Do you know what I mean? And, and, I can't and stand it, boy. I can't anymore. You know. Yeah, no, hats off to you for, for stepping up and uh, speaking, standing up and speaking out on this because it is incredibly important um, that the wall of silence, the ignorance, uh, that this is why we're, we're continuing to see this downward trend and the ignorant policies remaining unchanged um, that are causing this downward trend in, in kind of the, the quality of life within certain communities. And, and it is only certain communities that are more affected by this than others. You know, again, it is a social class issue. 
Um, you know, you've well-to-do areas uh, where drug dealing and, and drug use isn't as uh, as proliferative as in, say, over the road where I grew up in, in the Glen here in Cork or, or up around Mayfield and things, you know, these kind of areas where the percentage of people on social welfare income is a lot higher. Um, so so the, that's where the drug use then and the drug dealing goes on because the, the, it's just uh, it's so tempting for them. You know, uh, job opportunities, they're not as great in there. You know, again, as you said already, they're coming from like these uh, single class or single parent families. Um, like the, the cards are really stacked, stacked against these people already in communities and uh, to have this extra barrier there, this extra thing there, the, the prohibition um, further work, working against them. It, it's just unfair. The, these people are going to do very, it's going to be very hard for these people to, to get off in life, you know, because there's just so much stuff around that's going to just drag them down. Like, like for me, getting caught with cannabis, uh, that, that was probably one of the worst things cannabis ever done to me, getting, getting a criminal conviction and stuff. Um, I seen that effect on other people there then as well when they were in my cannabis. It was, uh, they always heard us gateway Terry, but again, when I thought when we were kids, 15, 16, 17, um, getting hash, like getting hash and getting pills. Sure, to, to me, I, I was able to see the difference because uh, I don't know, I just was. Um, but for my cousins and some of my friends, they weren't. When there was no hash there, they would take the pills. Um, so it was just, I was so messed up that what went on there. Um, but again, like just just to go back to it all, uh, you, having people like yourself speaking out, it's so important because uh, you work with these uh, you uh, with these young people, I suppose, in these kind of areas, and um, like the amount of workers who work with these kids and see this, but they say nothing about it. Are, are they really helping these kids, or are they only helping themselves by protecting themselves and their job and their career? Um, because ultimately, like, I think that's all you're doing. If, if you're in a position like this, you can see this problem, but you're not speaking out of it. You're not yeah. helping any. You're only helping yourself. Oh, it's a selfish thing it, that you're doing. This is the wider issue. Sorry to cut off, oh, Martin, but you hit the nail on the head. They, they talk fair speaking out. I think that's, that's neoliberal ideology, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, um, especially my line of work, which is supposed to be progressive and about change. Uh, that's diminished over time, you know, because youth work even sits comfortably under that neoliberal agenda. So it becomes bureaucratized and stuff like that. And then people are afraid to speak out because they fear that their funding and all will be cut. So that plays a major role in it as well. I can't speak out about drugs. You know what I mean? I, I work with young people, but I'm saying, yeah, but you came into this community to work with them and an ever-present issue that's ongoing in their life is yeah. the illegal drug trade, but you won't say anything about it. You prefer to work around it and hope that the outcomes you're looking for will eventually happen. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Well, I'm not saying good outcomes. I think you work does is an amazing intervention in the lives of young people, and that's what should replace, um, yeah. you know, um, when uh, prohibition, yeah. you know, in, ter- in relation to young people, let young people be the intervention there and not the justice system. Exactly. Do you know that way? Oh, you're dead right. And uh, th- there was a story I shared actually not too long ago from Reddit, and it was uh, it was a youth worker as well actually, and um, he-, he was having a-, a smoke out in his shed or something. Uh, he was go out there in the evenings and uh, hit the bong, I think it was. Um, but one of the young fellas uh, from his I don't know in his area that he was living in jumped his back wall and went into the shed and found the bong and ratted him out. I- I'd imagine or something. Wow, um, I never heard. That. Yeah, so th- this was a post up on Reddit anyway, and. Uh, 
the, the guy uh, had to go to, to his superiors like he was looking to he, they were looking to fire him to, to get him out kicked out but uh, i think he was working for for nearly 30 years as a, as a youth worker and um, it's always done above and beyond for for the service and they were still considering to give him out and then at the last minute he, he was like but it was only the cbd flowers that i was smoking and they left him off it, it all went away as soon as it was just like all of the time it was this big thing big thing big thing and then he was like actually no it was just cbd flowers yeah. and then all went away from him and uh crazy it's a, it's a bitter pill to swallow that one because those superiors were probably saying in the same vein let's go for the drink after work do you know what i mean like there you go yeah, well, that's the society I want to live in is when colleagues of mine can say, do you know what, I'd I'm going to go to the cannabis club down the road and they yeah. engage in t- intelligent conversation. That's not going to make me miss work the next morning. You know what I mean? Um, and that's what we're, that's the society we're living in. And it's just how oh, so, oh, you know yourself, Martin, the hypocrisy of it all. Yeah, um, that's it. Uh, to think the damage that... Who gave 30 years service, who only cared about the interests of young people he worked with in one moment his whole career and experience undermined and stigma rammed down his throat that is an awful way to feel for anybody yeah whether you are a cannabis user or any kind of drug user or not we've a moral obligation to look at this and say that that is wrong do you know what i mean i think we are dealing with the greatest moral injustice of our time you know this whole thing around prohibition and our but I have to be encouraged and taken. I think it's shifting now. You know, me yeah. and you wanted to happen yesterday, but uh, <laughs> I think we're, we're, we're in it for the long run. You know what I mean? And your own voice, my own voice, and all the other voices out there, we'll get this over the line, you know, but mm. not without a lot of due process, bro, you know? <laughs> if there's somebody out there listening, actually, and, and they're in a position like your own, would you have any advice from in in speaking out on, on these kind of issues and overcoming that that fear of the stigma that's going to be put to one by their, their work colleagues and, and even superiors uh, like that? And would you have any advice from it all? Just know, know your subject, you know it well, you know, really know what you're talking about and think about the lens you're looking at through mm-hmm. and uh, try to avoid, unless that's your approach, but try to avoid the personal anecdotes sometimes. The personal anecdotes are fine for the right kind of place, you know, but yeah. when you're using your own platform or you want to speak out, it's very important, I think, <clears throat> Yeah. to be thinking what lens you're actually coming through mm-hmm. you know uh that's uh and just just you have you, you do have to be careful do you know what i mean um it's not safe for anyone to declare they're a drug user in our jobs and stuff like that you know yeah um, and it's not it's no one's business and most jobs wouldn't care so long as you don't disclose it or whatever like that <laughs> or say something reckless or come in under the influence and yeah. any self-respect and drug user doesn't do that right. do you know that kind of way um you know yourself when people do that they probably cross the line themselves where it's starting to impact on your daily psychosocial functioning but yeah. people go in that way or or are just are hung over from a two-day session or something like that you know that kind of way yeah. but uh, I actually yeah uh, interviewed um matt soutwell before i don't know if you've heard of matt soutwell before I have yeah, absolutely been... Yeah, he's he's a legend of a man. I interviewed him with uh, Graham DeBarra as part of our support on Punish uh, special we did there last year. But he was telling fantastic. me, yeah, it was fantastic. 
Oh, you heard you watched that. Oh, yeah. I did, I did, I did, yeah. yeah, so you probably heard the part in it where he disclosed uh, to his work uh, superiors, uh, whoever's what he's working under, um, the fact that he was a part of this drug using community. And like rather than listen to what he had to say, because he was after doing incredible work up to this point, like absolutely incredible work. They, they fired him. They, they were just like, oh, no, but like you, you have to go now um, because he, he basically put a black mark on himself by saying, yes, I'm a part of this drug using community. Um, but because of that, they were like, again, as you said there earlier, like all of those that years of work completely undermined by just one simple little thing that I'm, I'm a drug user. Uh, yeah. it, it was crazy um, to, to see. But he, he's gone on to do some uh, incredible work after oh, he, uh, with the naloxone. He's, he's just brilliant. You're out there making me think of something there. A lot when you ask a youth worker, why did they get into it? Mm-hmm. A lot of youth workers have a past, do you know? Yeah. And, uh, now we're seeing more young people uh, get into you work at 18 because it's professionalization in the last, say, 10 years. But before that, <clears throat> it was always people who were maturer than, say, 23. So, you know, a lot of people got into it with a past. But a lot of people who are in youth work, there's a lot of people who have been through recovery. Yeah. So, unfortunately, a lot of those, I've, there are some kind of radical uh, thinkers as well, but a lot of uh, those ones in prohibition have a prohibition kind of mindset you know that kind of way um, and you know I, I respect their pathway to recovery I'd never undermine that but they wouldn't be really looking for drug policy reform do you know that kind of way to be very much about you know um, <clears throat> recovery 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 yeah. so uh, but within that there's also an opportunity because Employers understand that when they take on some youth workers, they have a past. Do you know what I mean? So it is there is a it is a kind of um, a profession or it's say a sector that has interest in people in it. Do you know what I mean? And uh, so there is an opportunity there, I suppose, for people to share their kind of experiences. But you'd have to clone me about twenty times because <laughs> I actually feel like I'm the only one banging that drum sometimes. There are other people coming on board, um, but it's a wider conversation that I think, uh, you know, uh, we need to have in youth work. And it's something that I'm plugging away at, at the moment. I'm trying to get the message out there that youth work needs to come together and develop a new strategy and not this fluffy kind that comes from the top down, something that we're more involved in and actually shaping because we know the needs of the young people and we should be able to determine what the outcomes are not predetermined outcomes that come down for the government because a lot of those outcomes that they're trying that they want us to uh, um, achieve sometimes you can't because it's government policy that's actually creating the bloody problems yeah. so it's uh, it's just uh, it's mind-boggling stuff and it's incredibly frustrating for me um, as a youth worker you know yeah no, I'd, I'd agree with you there um, when it comes to the policy making and, and especially around drug use that uh, if, if they don't involve at least the, the drug users at some point of the conversation there in the policy, like uh, the policy isn't, might, it, it's most likely not going to be fit for purpose uh, you know, and, and, and quick end up doing uh, more harm than good then um, counter to what the policy actually was put together for uh, normally. Um, but, but yeah, we're, great it, we're great at that in Ireland, you know, creating policies that... Uh, cause harm rather than actually um you know improve the lot of people 
you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It was uh, something I was even running on and, and when I ran for government here not too long ago is uh, the way in which the government makes decisions uh, that we need to involve uh, people from the community that, that are affected mostly by those decisions. So like we've things around homelessness and uh, different kind of things going on there and the decisions being made at the top by the, the guys and uh, the people down there working out in the street with the homeless, they're, they're nowhere to be seen in the conversations with the guys at the top who are kind of des- deciding out the things. The same thing here with, with drug use and drug policy. Um, when I was representing over 800 students uh, in the CIT students for uh, sensible drug policy, like an incredible amount of students we had signed up to us, we, we still had uh, no uh, recognition there from the government uh, towards us, our community, and we were campaigning strongly back then for drug testing at festivals. And lo and behold, then uh, not long after that, we had the death of uh, sadly a CIT student in Cork at the Independence Festival um, <coughs> because of uh, some ecstasy pills, I believe. And uh, I think they were tainted actually afterwards. So like, again, it's just more examples of how the policymakers, they have opportunities. They've had countless opportunities to do something oh. and time and time again, they're failing us. And people like yourself then, like they're, they're just, increasing the workload for, for people like yourself with their with their pathetic policies uh, really it's yeah they know they're not interested in solutions martin you know uh, they just aren't and every youth worker in ireland has the solution you know um i'm just one that took a particular interest in this particular area that i know is causing severe damage to children mm. and uh, not just in the current present day but has for the last 50 years you know, I've lost friends. I've lost young people I work with because of this policy. Do you know, I've even lost my bloody parents. But that's for another conversation down the road. Do you know, um, I value my privacy very much. But, uh, you know, I, I am open to sharing the, the personal things. But yeah. I suppose the personal is political and the political is the personal for me. So, you know, um, I have to, like yourself, I'm just so, so, so determined to make a difference and it's not a self-serving thing it's just i can see the damage that this is actually causing people good people yeah. non-violent people who are full of potential have everything to contribute to, to making this society yeah. a better place but now we make them criminals mm. we keep them fed through the justice system this policy is not working so why is it in place and i, I keep on saying it and who's interested as a servant yeah, Do you know what i mean so i think the two biggest obstacles Young people from your community and my community have to overcome. Two biggest dangers is the justice system and violent criminal gangs. Imagine that, already growing up in poverty, already growing up in constant stress and chaos, of not knowing, just living day by day. You know what I mean? No real plan or anything like that. The situation already being bleak. (laughs) Then you've these things in your life as well. That is suffocating to me. Do you know what I mean? But I can see through the bullshit. And I'm exposing it now. I'm trying to expose it. We all are. Do you know what I mean? And the young people in this country deserve a better deal, especially working class young people, because they are most subject to the law. Disproportionately, who's getting the criminal convictions in this country? Who's filling up our jails? Do you know what I mean? So there's a, there's the forces at play here that are just evil. I yeah. like you know, and there's not a will. I think it's just de facto accepted that this is the way it is now, and no one really wants to change it because it's gone so far. So it takes one brave person or two or three brave people and the politicians to say, hang on a second, do you know? And uh, we, we, we do need to look at this. And I hope that this year 
with the debate last week and all your own work as well, Martin. You're, you're, you're one of my heroes. Uh, you know, the, the momentum that that will give to the already ongoing movements, what happened last week. I can feel this. I can feel it. Do you know what I mean? I can feel 2021 being a year where we, we get policy reform on the table and on the agenda, do you know? But we have to demand it. And not demanding these piecemeal things. We go back and say we want to reform the Misuse of Drugs Act. Yeah. Because if we go in saying, and here are the reforms, do you know what I mean? Because uh, we've been going sifts, the crime, legalization, and it's it, they're all getting siloed a little bit. But if we just go, right, hang on, the problem here is the Misuse of Drugs Act. And when we reform it, these are the things we're going to put in. And we'll start, a good place to start is decriminalizing all hard drugs and legalizing cannabis. You know, <laughs> that's where you start. Do you know what I mean? And then we can look at how we can regulate other markets. Do you know what I mean? Um, oh, actually, while listeners are here, um, there's another, uh, there was a report there, and it was one of the best I've seen in, in recent years. And there's been a lot of reports uh, come out of the inner city. But this one was on um, violence, threats, and intimidation. And I think, uh, you know, Anna Liffey were the, were, were the people behind that, you know, so... I, I listened to it's a very, very bleak document and it shows the extent to which young people are being exploited and the fear that's going on in people's lives. But a bit of encouragement from it is that in the recommendations, you know, uh, looking at regulating of markets as a way of addressing this problem and then including social class under the equality legislation along the other nine grounds. I, t- I think that's, that's, a, that's a great thing to see in a report that you normally wouldn't see, you know. Um, so something has to come out of that as well, I think, you know, but um, I think Pascal O'Donoghue, who was the rep in that area, didn't allude to it at all. He went, oh, this is uh, a good piece of research. And he says, maybe we'll do a few more in the future. Do you know what I mean? It was that kind of, but uh, there was a, there was a, even, uh, there was a silence. There was a silence like about prohibition in that meeting, but it was glaringly obvious. There was a huge elephant in the room. You know, but uh, again, I was there, so I said what needed to be said at that one as well. Yes. You know what I mean? So I'm on a bit of a roll now at the moment, but uh, look, it needs to be said because we're in we're in dire straits here in this country between uh, homelessness, chaotic drug use, but violent criminal gangs, uh, you know, dominating our communities. Um, Definitely, yeah. Something well, needs to be done about it. And the old approaches of the past just simply don't cut it anymore. This is a policy-related issue. And only through policy will we be able to see change. Because the infrastructure is there, Martin. All the youth projects, all the drug service, all the community organizations who do amazing life-changing work. But unfortunately, the policies undermine it. So if we were when we when we reform um, drug policies in this or in this country, what we need to do is align research, policy, and practice. Do you know what I mean? And constantly doing that in, in that cycle. And uh, we'll, we will create a fantastic, a fantastic model for Ireland. I really do truly believe that. And I think we will get there. But like I keep on saying, we have to be patient, but keep on working hard, you know? Yeah, that's a never giving up and uh, always pushing for what's right. That's certainly uh, what I'll be remaining to do. And it looks like your, your ground uh, is set there as well. And uh, it's full steam ahead for all of us. <laughs> um, yeah, 
just just to go back to, to your own work and uh you were saying there earlier about the the, the people the, the people from our own areas like uh, for me up in the north side here of cork city for you the the young people you're working for in the inner city in dublin um how, how do the do they view the guards because I, I know myself how guards were viewed in my own community um, but for you, when, when the kids come in to, to yourself, uh, do you often hear stories of, oh, I was searched by the bloody cops or the, the pigs or, you know, what's the attitude there fr- from them? Yeah, so uh, the attitude is one of um, distrust and dislike. And this is not just coming from the young people, but that's shared, mm-hmm. you know, comes from the guards as well. They do have contempt for the young people. I'm not saying all guards, there's some well-meaning guards in the community who genuinely try to connect and build a relationship but there are other guards in that area who treat the young people and think of the young people as absolute scumbags do you know what i mean and and uh, for example there's a young man i work with he's a doesn't use drugs he uh, had a he was in a peer group that kind of is starting now so uh he you know that group split but this young man in particular and i want to reference him he was uh, kicked to the ground, George Floyd stood, and, and, and a, 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 a knee on his neck, you know, by a guard in broad daylight. Uh, the reason why they stopped him, because he ran a little bit. He got scared. Of course. They ran after him and just brute force onto the ground. Harmless kid, never done. He's just a really great kid, you know what I mean? And uh, he didn't deserve that. But if that's in the mindset, stop, arrest and search everybody in this area of our guards, how is the place ever going to feel safe? How are we ever going to build trust? And again, it's the law and this policy that enables that. When you remove that, you remove a license that the guardie have to kind of harass people. Mm-hmm. You know, and over time, I think and it can improve a culture of uh, building a better relationship because that's the, what's supposed to happen through proper community policing. But yes. if you're a guard and you just think everybody that you see in the community has cannabis on them or other drugs, it's preventing you, it's stopping you from uh, building a relationship uh, with that person and then getting the respect that you you would like. So it's a two-way process. The young people have uh, just cause to, 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 to not like the guardie and equally the guardie have been trained in a way to think a certain way. You know what I mean? I don't, you know, it's, it's just a complicated mess there, Martin. But yeah, just like the North City of Cork and the North Side of Dublin, um, or the outside of inner city Dublin, it's it's the same. There's a lot of contempt there. Young people do not have a good relationship with the Gardaí, and uh, there's loads of reasons why that happens, but we know all roads lead back to this policy that we're trying to change, you know? Yeah, what, what I'm noticing lately is Garda discretion. There was actually a young man I'm working with who, for me, is a bit young, starting to use cannabis, you know? A uh, big, huge, imposing young man. So you'd think he was an adult, but uh, he's yeah. not quite there yet, you know. So we'd rather he paused it. <laughs> you know, I think we can all agree, those who want, whether cannabis illegal or legal, we all agree young people that age shouldn't be using it. We'd rather they don't, you know. But let's create an environment where it makes it safer anyway, and we can connect with that young person and educate them. But right now, we don't. But anyway, he said that he two fifty bags on him and that the guard he stopped them, searched them, gave him it back. Really? You know, so that was a discretionary thing that the guard felt he, he did. Whereas another time, he's waiting on some sort of JLO now for another one. Do you know this kind of way? So it's a bit like pot luck, isn't it? Oh, big it's time. Bit, it's pot luck. It's like the lottery. It's it's just ridiculous. They cannot police themselves 
out of this issue. But what they are doing is destroying young people's potential mm-hmm. and, and their self-esteem and what they think of themselves by doing this. Do you know what I mean? And right. like, like you say, I'm doing this work so long and it breaks me heart to see all that potential just go to waste. Do you know what I mean? Thing, uh, like, it, it, even if they don't get cri- like a, a criminal conviction, they're still criminalized because they've been unnecessarily dragged through a system and humiliated. Do you know? And then the message that sends down to their parents and, and whatnot. Do you know what I mean? It's just okay. barbaric. It's an awful thing to do to anybody. So we'll never know the full extent or the human cost of this issue. But I know it's astronomical. Do you know what I mean? And that's why I call it the greatest moral injustice of our time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I see it wrecking the lives of young people. And like I'm not letting it happen anymore. I just I just can't. Do you know what I mean? Um well, no, again, hats off to you, Jarb, for for taking that stand. Um because it really goes to show that your your heart is truly in it because you know you're 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 putting yourself out there in the firing line, you know. Um, at any point, somebody could come and say, look, I don't like what you're saying. Um, I, I don't want you to be in our organization or anything. You know, you, you did take that risk. So um, it really goes to show like that your, your heart is in the right place on you. Um, so so well, well done for that. Uh, those kids up are, are lucky to have you. If, if, thank you. If that happened, you know, uh, I am the kind of person that I'm that invested and passionate about what I do. I am the kind of person who would resign if something fundamentally went against my values. And if that happens along the way, that someone takes issue with what I have to say, because don't get me wrong, my mouth can get me into trouble sometimes in my profession because I, I speak truth to power. You know what I mean? But I'm also respected as well. And, uh, you know, I'm not out there. I'm not I'm not intending to do harm. Do you know what I mean? I'm doing what I was trained to do. And that's to do myself out of a job, not do myself into one. Do you know what I mean? Because that's the real objective of a community youth worker is to do yourself out of a job so the community eventually says we no longer need you. We did it ourselves. But the way neoliberalism is, it's everybody's doing themselves into a jobs to create the problems and not really come up with solutions. It's just absolutely frustrating. Exactly. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, so, yeah, it can be a lonely place, you know, yourself. <laughs> it can be a lonely <laughs> place sometimes when you're, you feel like you're on your, on your own island and, uh, you know, when you're trying to build solidarity and understanding. But I just think that I'm learning as I go as well. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm learning when to have the conversations, what space to bring it into, just, you know. And that's also important for the question you asked earlier when someone wants to uh, speak out about this issue. You know, pick your battles. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't feel like you have to be silenced either. It's just about getting cleverer. And that's what I'm learning as I go along. Uh, what when to when to raise particular kind of things and say for example the meetings this week that was the perfect place to actually do that but sometimes i do bring this stuff up in other space and i go oh shouldn't have done yeah. that well maybe not that i shouldn't have done it but it just i knew by the response or the body language that it wasn't the the the, the, the time to be raising it you know even though i wasn't just raising it for the sake of raising it something would be said and i'll go aha do you know what I mean? But then they don't want to hear it. You know, that kind of way. So, uh, this is bliss and all that. Yeah. But you were commending on, you know, uh, my dedication to what I do. It is a passion and it's a calling. If I was in this job for the money, I'm in the wrong job. Do you know this kind of way? I, 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 I have my call and I'm doing what I feel I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, yeah. that kind of way. Um, and I get a lot of satisfaction and uh, reward out of it. But at the same time, I have to manage a lot of disappointment. 
a lot of disappointment and it's quite taxing. You know, some of my friends remark, I couldn't do what you do. Do you know that kind of way? But uh, I love what I do. I really, really love what I do. And I treat the young people like they're my own, you know? Yeah, you're up in an area of, uh, or part of Dublin, I suppose. Uh, well, just up in Dublin in general, um, things will be a bit more uh, further along, I suppose, than down here. Um, just in terms of, I suppose, uh, how do you put it? Like just the the level of drug dealing, the level of uh, kind of gangland stuff. It's it's just a bit more in the on the surface than it is down here in Cork. Uh, just to say, um, like how how evident is it up there and how much of an effect is that really having on the kids uh right now the current state of play it's no surprise is that the the issue is more polarized in dublin it's more population it's the capital uh but uh in terms of drug trends behaviors and what's actually going on up here so what's happening is is that the what the way i see it is it's almost like it's not two or three well i don't know but say if it were, you always knew it was like names who were, will remain nameless, <laughs> I'm not going to mention the what the media mentions, but we know the gangs that they usually uh, mention in the media as if they're a catch-all. Yeah. not. There's loads of different gangs and groups out there. I don't like calling them all gangs. They're groups of young people, disenfranchised, yeah. who are taking advantage of their environment and becoming social entrepreneurs. I'm not condoning it, but that's what it is. When you grow up like that, you're in an underground economy, and that's what the legal drug trade actually is. But here's how it goes now. So the cannabis, it's so demand. It, it there's a huge, huge, huge demand for it, yeah. And the country is flooded with it, despite uh, you know the odd seizure here and there every day that makes the guards look good and just uh, justify us to them or to the ignorant out there why they do it. But there's always going to be cannabis the next day. But there's so much cannabis out there, and young people are smoking it younger. But it's because internationally it's becoming more liberalised. So they're like, ah, sure, you know what I mean, like that. But yeah. you know, so what they what they're doing is is they're able to buy the way they'll cut out the, the the gangs now, and they'll buy it online and they get it to their door. You know what I mean? And then they'll sell it among their friends and then just buy more. So they're creating a little enterprise themselves. And then there's a hierarchy of cannabis use now. So there's your regular everyday hazes and all, but the guys who have the money keep all the Cali for themselves. Do you know this kind of way? So yeah. I listen to young people every day of the week and they're making little um, little franchises for themselves. But it's dangerous, Martin, yeah. because then, then it starts off these turf wars. So that's what's happening. There's, uh-huh. a bit, there's a big demand for the market. Everyone fancies themselves as a little entrepreneur, but then they're stepping on each other's toes. Do you know what I mean? And undermining each other. And this is why the post-codal wars, wars are starting now. Do you know what I mean? Bit of power, bit of status. This is my area. And then next of all, two areas fighting with each other. And then a bloody feud. And we're dealing with the consequences right now. The knife crime that's going on in here. It's kind of reminiscent of what was happening in London, you know, with the shanking and all that kind of stuff. And we can't get it out of control. But the response to that right now at the moment is what they're thinking of is creating a national knife crime strategy. That's it's like, you know, another another bureaucratized uh, thing for people to, you know, put themselves in positions mm-hmm. rather than actually really deal with the the, the, the the real causes of this problem. Yeah, you know that kind of way. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, uh, it definitely does. There's no longer two big, huge gangs holding a monopoly on everything. There's people taking advantage of it because there's such a demand. 
And there's a lot of people who just see cannabis as not a drug anymore. It's so normalized. But yeah. there's so therefore they're taking advantage of that, you know, and it's easy for them to get cannabis, whether that be here or online. Like you only have to turn on Instagram, you know what I mean? Uh, and I'm into trends and behavior, so I'm interested in doing my own research. So I remember someone added me and it was obviously someone sending cannabis. But next of all, the next day, I had 50 friend requests of uh, more people selling weed on Instagram. Do you know what I mean? So there's Instagram's the marketplace. Do you know what I mean? This is how out of control it actually is. You know what I mean? And uh, another argument, uh, why it should be legalized, do you know, because it's all unregulated and it's going to cause harm. You know, if it's unregulated, uh, potentially cause harm. And, uh, you know, we know that the knock-ons and snowball effects of that then are gang lad torp wars and crime. And, and death and murder and everything else like it, you know. So as you say it there, the yeah. young people getting involved in it and Instagram is the kind of the marketplace for yeah. them. And I see so, them like some of them there could get incredible jobs out there, marketing companies in fairness, if they were to just apply those skills in the right way. Yeah. But they're doing Yeah, I'd love, like I'd love to I'd love to see a social enterprise program that gave young people who are involved in gangland and stuff like that. A chance to get out of it, you know, and get involved in the cannabis industry and whatnot. There, there's so much potential, you know. There's so, 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 so much potential. Right now, as it is, all it does is destroy potential. Yeah. But the old narrative is that it's the drug destroying the potential. It's not. <laughs> it's the drug policy, you know. But unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, the minds have been blanketed by you know for a very long time that. Uh, a lot of people can see through it, but there's a lot of people that still believe that, man. Yeah. You know? And, and, and uh, we do have to change hearts and minds in order to win the debate, you know? Mm-hmm. Can I ask you up above, uh, with, with the young people you work with, um, is it just cannabis? Um, is that, the, I suppose, that would be the main one, but would there be other drugs uh, pop up there then um, with the young people? And kind of what well, are you, right, what are right now, drug of choice is cannabis. Mm-hmm. And anything outside that to them is dirty drug. But these, these young men are uh, smoke cannabis, but call the other drug user the junkie. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> okay. And I'm always challenging them about, you know, uh, stigma and stuff like yeah. that. And, uh, oh, you know, so they look down on other drug users, but cannabis is so normalized to them and they're in, in the area that it is. Youth work says, oh, we can't be saying to normalize it. And I'm always saying, it's normalized. Our parents aren't even smoking it. <laughs> when you walk around uh, the north in our city, that's all you can smell. Do you know what I mean? Cannabis is absolutely everywhere. But uh, cannabis is the first drug of choice. But then like, some young people develop habits with prescription drugs like benzos and stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Or the, the young people who are too far to reach, who are deeply traumatized, who, who you know, who have grown up around uh, violence and neglect and stuff like that. You know yourself, they're the ones more likely going into harder drug use, you know. So when I think they'll, like, they where the most common trends, about 13, 12, 13, 14, start smoking cannabis. And then six day and they might start trying to trying down the coke and stuff like that. And there they get, you know what I mean? That's when you start uh, seeing yeah. young people go a bit too far and then experimenting with other drugs. I think because of COVID and in terms of trends and behaviors, we're not seeing the whole party kind of thing, uh, that kind of uh, lifestyle, you know, is on hold at the moment. So there's less of a demand for things like MDMA and ecstasy and, uh, and ketamine and stuff. Although they're Obviously, they're obviously available, but it's not something that's discussed. What you see on the surface in in the inner city is cannabis, and then it's 
like it's the epicenter of drug dealing in the country. There's a lot of that going on. So there's every drug available, but in terms of what young people to answer your question, what they're using is, is cannabis, you know, predominantly. And then I would say cocaine. And then and, uh, okay. and alcohol. Yeah, because that, that's the big driver of the feuds going on up in um, Dundalk at the moment is uh, cocaine, where that young fella, um, Kim Mulready, uh, was, jeez, I'm not going to say what it happened to him, but everybody knows nasty oh. stuff that went on up there, uh, horrible. But that all fueled by, again, not, not not by the drugs, but by the drug policy uh, around the drugs. And, and it's re- really unfortunate, yeah. Um, and then for the young people with yourself, um, like, when they're coming up through and they, they encounter problems with uh, drugs and the, the Gardaí, um, how is that dealt with for them? Is is it all about just getting them off the, the drug or is it, are they, do they ever really address the, the issue? Like, is a guard ever come to you and say, Johnny over there, we caught him with cannabis the other day, have a chat with him there, see why he's using it? Or like, is there ever that approach? They're supposed to be. Supposed to and, be. Uh, we do have a, we do have uh, like guardian youth diversion programs that young people and they're there uh, that end of youth work is to reduce crime. Mm-hmm. So uh, any young person who's starting to engage in criminality or gets a JLO can be referred to a GYDP. And it's really down to the GYDP in terms of the youth workers expertise and how they engage with young people around drugs. And there's some good youth workers out there who use harm reduction informed approaches but it's not universal. So it's, yeah. you know, it, there's no balance there. And then a lot of you work just says it's not their job really, you know? And then sometimes they actually make the, the whole situation uh, makes the problem even worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you just, you know, I don't think we, 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 we don't think we have a great response to it. Do you know that kind of way? Um, oh, then, I, yeah. It's interesting that um, like when, when a young person uses cannabis, or whatever, for a lot of times it could be curiosity, but for some of them, you know, for, for those ones you talked about earlier that go on to the harder drugs, it's not curiosity. It's that they're, they're trying to, to feel better um, about yeah. themselves, about their lives, or to, to just not feel at all, actually, is another thing that they could be trying to achieve. Yeah. And I, I think if the, if the Gardaí are just only focused on the fact that the, the person is involved in crime, yeah. rather than actually, you know, this person is having a tough life and is seeking out drugs to, to undo... Yeah that tough yeah, life. Um, yeah. That there's, a big, there's a big movement towards now trauma informed care so by that logic if we're looking at early childhood trauma and the likelihood you are to end up being an addiction there's one there's a big example why we need to change drug policy yeah. but that's still not coming up you know what i mean and uh, you were talking about young people who are deeply deeply traumatized do you know what i mean uh so you know they're more likely to end up using those harder drugs, you know, that kind of way, and more likely to end up uh, becoming dependent on them, you know what I mean? And then and when you become dependent, it sets off a whole other chain of events, you know what I mean, that usually yeah. uh, leads to very, very bad outcomes, you know, that which we've talked about for the whole show, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, we, need to, we need to reform that area as well. Um, and it's certainly, I'd say it would be harm reduction informed and trauma informed. Do you know what I mean? Young people need hugs, not handcuffs, Martin. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? They, they really do. They need to be told that they're loved. They need to feel loved. They need to feel care. And they need to feel a bit of solidarity. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. that's what I try to bring to my, that's what informs my practice. And I do that. But 
you know, um, and a lot of you workers do do that, but because the way the situation is the way it is about drugs and drug policy and drug education and our approach to it, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it's, it's not providing great outcomes at all. We're certainly at a time where things are like, there's a lot of change going on around us. I, I think uh, coronavirus, uh, while it's a nuisance in, in all manners, like uh, I think it offers a lot of potential there because, uh, there's so much change going on around us that like uh, change when there's so much changing, it's an opportunity for us now to change the Misuse of Drugs Act and uh, and, and even how we interact in our, in our nightlife. So like nightlife has completely gone away. I think Graham DeBarra said it well that when we go back to our nightlife now that we should maybe incorporate in these other things, maybe allowing cannabis cafes to be opened up, but, but also the, the drug testing facilities um, opened yes. up across uh, cities and towns across Ireland where mm-hmm. at nighttime a person can go in, test their cocaine, their pill or whatever it is and, and get an idea as to the purity and the contaminants because that's probably the biggest danger out there to the, the young people and all the drug users uh, is the, can, the quality of the drugs. Like a, a lot of the times people die because of contaminants in the drugs rather than the actual drug itself. Um, so it's a big issue. But on that then, I, I suppose... Um, the, the government have announced that they're going to incorporate in some drug testing now in uh, a festivals this year. Festivals actually happen, <laughs> um, but but that's certainly welcome uh, positive news. Um, did you have any views or opinions on that? Uh, were you aware of that? I am. I, I'm aware of it because, uh, like me, myself and Graham and Dan and uh, members of Student for Sensible Drug Policy, in my previous position. Um, in another youth pro like I was the I worked in a youth service, the first youth service in the entire the only youth service in the entire country that took a position on decriminalization and helped advance it. So I, I went before the, the Committee of Justice, Defense and Equality to argue in favor. And it wasn't it didn't just come from me. This came from my experience of working with a group of LGBT young people. Do you know what I mean? And they, one night, one day in their group, they were talking about their own experiences and interactions with, you know, the police. And that what was interesting about that service is that young people came from, from all different backgrounds, different social classes, but they had that shared, uh, you know, solidarity because they knew they were a stigmatized and oppressed group. Do you know what I mean? So uh, okay. the, the, the issues of class were kind of broke down once they came into the service. Drug use is very high in the LGBT community. So we had a, an interesting discussion. All these young people were 18 and over, but they talked about their interactions with the law and how one LGBT young people's experience in Finglas would be different to, you know, another young person's experience out in Fox Rock. And then they gave me an example of one of them getting searched one day out in Finglas that the young people from Finglas were treated very harsh by the guards, but the young people who were from Fox Rock were brought home by the guard eh, and treated very differently. Uh, so I, with that, we tapped into that, and that it was quite timely that after that conversation, we seen the call from the committee, the Just Defence Equality, to look for submissions on altering the wording of it was terrible. They didn't say decriminalisation. It was another way, alterating the current blah, 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 but I knew what it meant, so I brought it to the young people. So we, we wrote a position paper, brought it to the board, brought it to the, you know, the organization and the organization I work in is a, is the campaign and organization. So they're very progressive and they stood up. You have a strong argument there. We put all the research in the whole lot, why it should be treated as a health issue because LGBT are higher, higher risk, you know, uh, more drug use and blah, 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 blah. 
so we were we, we were successful we got called before but the young people asked me would i be the the representative i think there was a, still a few young people in that group that weren't even out so um fantastic yeah we went before it, it was uh myself representing the organization i was in and uh, all the task forces like Analyphy, citywide irish penal reform trust and uh we came to a consensus that we were all in favor the only ones that weren't were the doctors the doctors <laughs> panel you know what i mean so uh, that report then it went into informing the new drug strategy reducing harm and support and recovery and then um we got a position at that table then as well on the prevention and education focus group so myself i was at that graham was repping repping uh, and dama repping student responsible drug policy yeah. no harm. and uh, we i think we play, we were hugely influential in getting the harm reduction measures that are in the new drug strategy that didn't come from uh, that came from us you know in terms of the whole thing around festivals and uh, and just advancing harm harm reduction in general now what happens that strategy they reduce and reduce some harm support and recovery so they melted a health issue by putting everything under the hse they're so clever do you know what i mean and diminish the community's responsibility or influence so they didn't go full health issue. You know yourself, the criminalization is still piecemeal, three yeah. strikes in there, and that's still criminal. It's yeah. not it's not consistent with a health-led approach. Oh. So I welcome the Frank announcing that drug checking and testing will be available at the f- festivals this year. But I want the listeners to know that that came from us, the harm reductionists out there who listened to, you know, our peers and care about healthy nightlife and care about healthy festivals and care about health in general and uh you know safe responsible ways to use and drugs sensible people got that into that uh into that into that strategy and yeah i obviously played my role there but just i wanted to tell that story about the young people that you know it just shows the power you can have if you mobilize a group of young people and you can get them to think you know and then take action and yeah. you know it, it was a, it was fantastic to see a service take a position like that so radical so radical you know um and uh you know um that's 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 there well, it's not full it's not where it needs to be we're well, not where we need to be on everything but it shows that there that there is progress being made yeah, yeah, I think uh, even like what you say, the tide is turning. I think the tide is even coming in now at this stage, like with, with changes like that. That's a huge change. <laughs> no, but it really is a huge change. Like, let's say if, if have, please God, uh, come summertime, electric picnic and all that stuff will be up and running again. And there, there will be an area where people can actually go and have their drugs tested. Like, I hope that's followed up then with where the Gardaí aren't taking people's personal amounts of drugs and in fairness if somebody's dealing there whatever look i i i, I don't yeah. think they should be interfering with them either look uh, whatever but i think there should be an area of amnesty offered to people and if they if yeah. that's respected then by the guardy um yeah. geez, that's going to be a huge step forward for for ireland uh, to, to see that happen and uh, it'll be a big step forward then for the the work for the educating the, the guards mm-hmm. and kind of really closing the divide there between those two communities the drug using community and the guards because really yeah. like we, we need the guards to protect us too like it, it's unfortunate though because as a drug user yeah. we, we don't feel like the guards are there to protect yeah. us and 
we take things into our own hands then. There's no mistake about it. There's a solid, there's a lot of guards who are drug users themselves. Oh, but uh, they're never gonna feel the the wrath of the law. But I did see oh, there there was an expose a few weeks ago that it was names that a lot of uh, guards are involved in drug dealing, some are in addiction and some are taking coke, but some are feeling complicit in all this you know and it was only a couple of months of seeing that headline 65 up in dublin alone you know that were under uh, suspension or something like yeah. that so well, I, I mean, but anyway so wages, uh, you look at it, a, a guard's wage is what on average about what between 30 50 thousand a year like yeah. easy a good drug dealer could probably afford to give a guard that a month uh if he was good at his job if he was high enough in the thing so you just have to look I mean, at it. This that is way. why a lot of it is in change. It's why a lot of it is in change, and because the justice system empowers the gangs. Obviously, the law created the gangs in the first place, but it's all monetary. There's a cycle here. There's people profiteering from it and don't want to see it changed. Do you know what I mean? Because it's very, very, very lucrative, and uh, you know, pays people salaries, and uh, you know, it, it keeps it keeps systems working. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? To the way that they are, and people don't want to change that. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I say it time and time know, again, actually, the people I'm most afraid of when when I'm speaking out uh, on this calling for the ending of prohibition and drug use is uh, it's the, actually the gangs. It's not the guards. Like I, I know the guards are watching my interviews, podcasts at times, um, but if the guards come at me, they're going to only lock me up. But if the gangs come for me, they're probably going to want to kill me because I'm trying to take away. Like you see that that raid there, or the seizure, two point five six million euros worth of cannabis. Like that, that was just one seizure. Like that, that, there's probably 10 more of those after being delivered uh, on the same day. So that'll tell you the extent of the money that's being made out there. And I'm trying to take that away from them. So I, I fear the gangs actually more than the guards at this stage. Yeah, yeah. Like I, like for a year, like I think communities that have been ravaged by drug crisis after drug crisis and then have always taught, or people working in the communities have always felt that the community can overcome this problem with the help of the guards. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, and we can tackle the drug gangs that way. But like my my gripe now is that, you know, they exist. But my gripe is more with the justice system now because this what this is what created the problem. Do you know what I mean? Um, so the narrative need to change is, is that we can overcome the drug problem uh, by not taking on the gangs, but taking down the justice system that created those gangs in the first place, yeah. you know. Um, I think that's a, I think that's a good place to, to end it there. Unless uh, there's any more you, you want to throw out there, or or give a shout out to anyone else, because um, I'm after exhausting all my questions here for you anyway. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I enjoyed chatting about it. Um, and yeah, I think we we can leave it there, Martin. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that was I a nice break. More questions. I could talk for hours. I'd talk all night, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, you know, I uh, really enjoyed the discussion and uh, we finally got it done, you know. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> it's been and, uh, a long time in the making. Um, yeah, we, we have to get a, a bigger panel discussion going again. Uh, I'd like to get yourself, Graham, and maybe one or two others kind of involved there. Uh, do you know, so we can get a nice mix of minds. Yeah, yeah, and just uh, exactly like because like yourself and the, the Graham and all, and just with the with the drug checking at festivals, it's important to acknowledge that that was peer the first time that was ever done was peer to peer, and it was boy you guys, you know what I mean? I remember it well. It was uh, a <laughs> year before. An agency stepped in, then spearheaded and led 
So I'll, I'll always acknowledge that, you know what I mean? Uh, the brave and bravery and the courage it took from you guys to actually do it. Uh, but you just didn't get the glory, do you know, that kind of way. No. So you're not in it for that. You're in it to do the right thing. That's, that's but, it. Uh, just yeah. to say that the reason why we were moving in the right direction is because it's from us. It's from all the listeners out there. It's from the ground up, you know what I mean? And demands for change will be met the yeah. stronger we get, you know what I mean? And just keep telling the truth, keep exposing stuff that's out there. Look after yourself, uh, you know. Um, uh, yeah, just keep fighting the good fight. I like to think of us as uh, pebble pushers who after a long time we'll have a, have a mountain moved. <laughs> Do you know? So we, we yeah, just have to keep pushing know. these pebbles. <laughs> If you look at the war on drugs, it's this immovable object, and unfortunately, we have to dismantle it piece by piece. So there, the pebbles we're working with right now at the moment, Martin. You know what I mean? The war on drugs uh, is not this stage. The drugs have won. <laughs> yeah, it could be taken down. You know, it can be. And look, it's important that we always keep our eye what's going on internationally. Do you know what I mean? The America, the US started the war on drugs, and it's crumbling in its own backyard. I mean, the, ed- the edifice of which it was founded upon now is broke. So, and they enforce drug policy throughout the world. Now they're rolling back. And we have to include that in the narrative when we are uh, campaigning, when we're putting it out there to make sense of it. Because Ireland likes to think that we are on our own little island and the rest of the world doesn't exist. It's a bit like when they're in Cork, Cork and the rest of Ireland. <laughs> you know we have to pay attention to what's going on internationally and uh and demand for change you know uh this is not some mad agenda that they're rolling back on this it's because it came from the people mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's too much death and destruction and loss and there's people the black community fighting back you know in, in america the laws are changing because they disproportionately affected them we're a smaller, smaller population but it's very much in place to bash it's a rod to bash the working class with and to keep cannabis users stigmatized, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's just, you know, you know, um, they're, they're not in place for our own interests anymore. They're in place for other interests and we need to stop it, you know? So yeah, we'll leave it at that. Thanks very much, Jared. All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that interview there with Jared Rowe. Um, it was an absolute pleasure to finally get him on the podcast and uh, to pick his brain there around uh, how, how drug policy is affecting the, our kids um, and I said drug policy uh, and not the drugs because, uh, as George said there, a lot of the times it's the drug policy really that's doing a lot of harms, as uh, as he said in the interview. Uh, the two biggest dangers to kids today are the, the justice system and the drug gangs. And it's it's not really the drugs that pose the, the danger there to them. Um, you know, so it, it was great to, to have him on there. I, I really enjoyed that conversation and I, I hope he did too. Um, I, I hope to catch up with him again in the uh, not-too-distant future there. Uh, as we said, uh, we'll certainly be crossing paths as we continue to, the campaign t- towards um, better drug policies here in Ireland and uh, to undo these harmful ones that we currently have. Um, so again, thanks very much, uh, Jared. I uh, certainly agree with what he said there. Hugs, not handcuffs is what we need uh, when dealing with the problem of drugs in our society. Um, so guys uh, again just to remind you if you want to support the show support the fight for cannabis legalisation in Ireland you have the patreon.com forward slash Martin's World and you also have the option to donate bitcoins uh, through the link found on martinsworld.ie um, so thanks very much guys for listening I uh, hope you all enjoy the show and uh, stay blazed out there guys and keep our lit much love peace <laughs>